Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights podcast presented by Succession Plus and Capitalize. I'm Daryl Bates Brownsword, and today I've got a special guest, Michael Brzozowski. Michael's, now we talk about this podcast about preparing businesses for exit. Now, Michael's got something a little bit special. He's actually the CEO or was the CEO of a not-for-profit and is just sharing his story around his experience uh, around preparing and getting ready to exit a not-for-profit. So welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much, Daryl. It's good to be talking to you. Yeah, likewise. So, Michael, we, we had a bit of a preparation conversation and uh and I think when we started, it was kind of, you know, does this conversation, does this, does this uh, journey work for a, um, you know, for, for the podcast? And and when we dug into it a bit, it was, it's it's exactly the same story, exactly the same journey. So um, why don't you give us a little bit of a background? And because I think the story goes back to was it 2015? Uh, well, yes, the, my my exit story goes back to then. The the story of the charity goes back uh, a lot further. Um, uh, and, and to explain, I, uh, I'm i living in Vietnam, so I'm speaking to you from, from Hanoi. Uh, where I've been living here for 20 years, 21 years, in fact. Um, I, I moved here as, a, as an English teacher in a university, and I started this uh, non-profit called Blue Dragon Children's Foundation. So we've mm-hmm. been running all these, all these years. Uh, we started out as a, as a couple of volunteers, just trying to help some street kids, uh, eventually became a little bit more professional and and had some plans, got involved also in human trafficking and, and how to end that. And the organization has just kept on rolling from strength to strength. Then in about 2015, I decided it was time for me to go. Uh, it was time for me. I wanted to stay with the organization. Uh, I love the organization. I, I can't imagine being in a different organization, but it was time for me to step out of being the CEO role. Um, unfortunately for me, a lot of the push factor behind me there was was negative. I was burnt out. I was stressed, uh, and and so I I didn't plan uh, very well at all, and uh, it it burnt up and and went badly. Uh, I came back into the role about a year later, and uh, and I stayed in that role for for about another six years until I giving giving me time to get it right uh, and to hand over. Um, the, the CEO reign to someone else. I'm still now with the organization with a different title. I, I call myself the strategic director, which gives me a lot of flexibility in, in what I do, um, but I'm happily not a CEO. Okay. So, so let's unpick that because you know, I know you just, you just gave us a background and, and the headline, but there's just so much in that. So the first thing, if I may, is you almost glossed over what what the the blue dragon does, and can you just share a little more about it? Because you you brought me to tears when you told me about it the first time around, and 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 normally I don't dig into to the the actual product, but um, this is pretty special what you're involved in. Yeah, it it is pretty special. Thank you, um, Daryl. Um, and and maybe when I tell that story, people will understand why why I might have been burnt out once upon a time. Um, it's happened more than once, but we we work with young people who have been trafficked. Uh, now that includes kids who are here on the streets of Hanoi, but who are uh, exploited sometimes sexually or sometimes for their labour, um, and and it includes girls and women and and boys and men as well who are trafficked out of Vietnam 
into neighbouring countries. So, for example, a very big issue we've been working on in recent years has been the trafficking of Vietnamese girls and women into China, where they're sold as brides. Uh, and more recently, we've been working on the issue of Vietnamese girls and women being trafficked into, into northern Myanmar, where they're sold into brothels. Um, now, we, I say we work on the issue. We work uh, quite directly on the issue. So we conduct rescue operations where people have called for help and we send teams to find them and get them out. It's non-confrontational. It's not, it's not Batman stuff that we're talking about. It's conducting a safe operation to get people uh, out of danger back to Vietnam. Uh, and then we work with the police. We work with the government, with the judicial system. We have psychologists helping people recover from that ordeal and also looking at the big picture of how do we stop this altogether. Um, so it's a, very, it's a very broad scope that we have. We, we, you know, we start in the dirt, getting our hands dirty, dealing with direct issues, and you know, then we're working with the government on how do we change the law to help people more. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts in Blue Dragon. And just so, so, thank you for sharing that. It's, it's like I, yeah, it, it's 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 special work you do. So, yeah, thanks for doing it. And to to think about it from a business perspective, you can see that you know for for any entrepreneur, any business owner, it, it the fact that this is a not for not for profit is is kind of irrelevant now because mm. you, you uh, it started with a, a single person with a vision who saw a problem to be solved. And, and and went about doing what they needed to do to solve that problem. That's just like any entrepreneur brings a product to market, they see a need that needs to be met and they figure out a commercial arrangement to make it work. They then got to deal with all the moving parts of going, well, how do I make it happen? How do I provide solutions? How do I keep my customers happy? How do I get my suppliers? How do I recruit? How do I, how do I inspire people to want to um, you know, share the vision of what I want to create? Um, and then people go, you know what, I want to be part of that. And, and then how do they get involved, which is just like the recruitment journey of anyone. Like whenever a business owner starts, you know, starts a new business, starts an enterprise, they've got to inspire people to want to join them because ultimately they're leaving something to join with you. And the only reason they'll do that is because they're inspired by whatever it is you're creating. That's right. That's a, that's a really good way of looking at it. I, I totally agree with that. So you've got all the energy, which is the now I'm going to say human resources, but I actually really dislike that that language of human resources because um, it, it distills to, down to treating people as resources, and, yeah. and they're not resources; they're people. So it's they're people. Know, talent talent management um, issues that you've got, and you've got to keep them energized. and And those that have come on board who are aligned to your vision, uh, they they come on board because they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And they want to be part of something meaningful and, and has purpose. And that's true for everyone, whether they're, they're building a new house or whatever job they're doing, you know, they want to be part of something bigger than themselves and, and something meaningful. And you know, the, one of the other principles, I guess, of talent management is that people crave good leadership. Uh, and regardless of what level of leadership they're in themselves, they still crave good leadership. So all of these principles, these human elements, if you like, apply regardless of the organization you're in. So you've been building this organization. You got to a stage where at some point you, 
you, you, you're stressed, you're burned out, you're frustrated, you just needed to get out at any cost, you know, and I can see a whole lot of business owners, you know, putting their hands up and going, yeah, well, I've been there. Um, and a lot of business owners do walk away and exit their business at that point, and, and some actually do a transaction and sell. And it's the worst time to sell, you know, with the advice we mm. give them because it, a business that's in that state is at its lowest value. So you, like a normal human, <laughs> an entrepreneur, uh, has gone, well, I needed to get out. And I think the words you said to me earlier was I, I gave it to the first person who walked by uh, effectively and unfairly um, and said, here, it's yours. I'm out. You know, go for it. So mm. talk us through that. What happened? How did you um, convince that person that, that, that they should take the reins and what, what was the fallout? You know, talk us through that so that you know, so people can relate and get a bit of a feel. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be really honest, um, that relationship ended really badly and I don't want to, um, to dump on, on this other person, a, um, a, a woman who, who took over the reins. She did her best, uh, at, at the time. Um, our relationship in the end was, was pretty poor, um, un, until my board stepped in and, uh, rectified it. And, and at that point, uh, the new CEO left. Um, but, but I definitely don't, mean to to point the finger at her and say it was all her fault um as you said you know i i was kind of just looking for anyone any takers at all and and she was keen she was already in the organization um she was ambitious and wanted wanted to take the role on um when i look back i deep down i had some misgivings like i just wasn't sure this really is the right person but i actively quelled that that little voice at the back of my head um because I felt I needed, I needed them to do it. And another voice was saying to me, come on, what could go wrong? How bad could it, could it get? Um, but as I say, things, things turned toxic. Simply as an organization, we were not ready for it. Um, and, and I'm in a situation where my governing board is in Australia. And so they were very helpful. I was on the phone to them all the time, as was the CEO. Um, them not being on the ground here and and only able to to kind of ascertain what was going on over over phone calls um their hands were a little bit tied and and you know i i really wish looking back that i'd had someone right there beside both of us beside me and and the ceo to to walk us through it and to um to be more of a sounding board i, I needed that they did my board did a fantastic job but but their hands were tied because of because of distance. So uh, uh, the CEO, after a year, uh, decided that she would go. Um, she she also was really unhappy, and uh, and I stepped back into the role, thinking I'll just do this for six months. Um, but it became clear that the organisation needed a lot more than than that to to be ready for a proper transition. So. Already, um, Michael, you, you've, you've highlighted two what I think are really important messages. The first one being that, hey, the, the organisation wasn't ready and, and with the, the CEO who, yeah, and if I'm reading between the lines, was, was calling the shots, was, you know, the, the whole organisation was effectively um, revolving around the, 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 the key inspirational person, the founder of the organisation, which is not uncommon. 
they were then in a position where they've gone, I've got to get out of here. And they, without any preparation, just sort of, you know, and what we tend to do is we, we assume that people understand what's going on. But um, as, a, as a founder CEO, you know, who's you know, often control freaks, um, the organization's revolving around us and we assume that everyone knows what's going on. But in this case, the, the, the downside of what happens when we, when we hand over without preparation. So there's, there's the, the first lesson. And, and what I hear is you saying, hey, look, I take responsibility. I could have done that better. Yes. The other really important message I, I heard in just a short part of um, your, your, your sharing was that the, the value of a good board like the good board is 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 third, not quite third party, but 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 a step away from the organisation, so they can act in an independent, unattached role, and they were able to work with both of you and and perhaps um, re, you know remedy a whole lot of what was going on. Whereas without the board, it it could have just got really messy. So the value of having a good board that that understands the business to to keep things on track. And, and guide and steer the, the leadership team when, when things aren't going so well. Exactly. That's right. The board there, um, that, was, that was the time that the board had the most value. Although, of course, I've now been through exiting a second time, and, and this time the board um, has, uh, has, has really been – they've got the experience now. We've been through this. Uh, we've we've learned, and they could really support me through it very very well. Brilliant. So you step back in. In your mind, was it six months? I'll just come in. I'll sort this out. I'll clean things up, and then I'll I'll exit again. Was the thinking at the time? When you jump back in, what did you think needed doing? What did you think you were going to be doing for six months? <laughs> well, I, right at the outset, I thought that I would be uh, just sort of resetting the organization's culture and values. Um, because during during that year, that was kind of what had shifted. Uh, you know, you talked before about people being part of any organization because it matches with their values. Especially in a nonprofit, uh, people, people may sacrifice a lot of opportunity and, and the especially the opportunity for a much better salary to stay with with an organization because they really believe in the direction that it's going. During that year, we went off in some other directions. And and some of the longest serving staff who who had made the most sacrifice over the years were were was starting to feel this isn't the organization that I joined. Um, and and so I thought it was kind of a relatively simple matter of coming back in and saying okay, let's Let's just remind ourselves of what our values are. But that was where I could see that there was actually a lot more work to do, and it was going to take a lot of a lot more time. Um, and and so, as I say, that six months turned into into some years before the organisation was really ready for me to comfortably step out and with time, not in any rush at all, but work it out, find the right person, and and step out um, in to make sure it went well, which it has. It, it's gone very well this time. So, so now we're, we're starting to talk about the importance of everyone understanding what the, the, the vision and, and the direction and the purpose of the organisation is, whether we use language like, you know, the purpose or, or mission or, or, or what have you. But why does the organisation exist? Is, do, 
you know, we, we assume as the leaders that you know, people understand that, but unless we're, we're sharing that message and sending it out regularly, then, then we can't assume that people understand it. So it sounds like, you know, if, I'm, if I'm understanding, that the, the new CEO came in and there just wasn't that common understanding of the whole reason that the organisation existed in the first place and that the values were embedded and go, this is the glue that holds it all together. This is, this is our style. This is what makes it special. And we, we all understand that because we have had those conversations. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I often think of another organization that I know here in Vietnam that, that has been through a few changes in leadership over the years, just for natural you know, purposes, people moving on. And, yeah. and every time they get a new CEO, they're a different organization. Now, that was what was actually happening to Blue Dragon. Uh, and, and I could see that firsthand. So I and, and a lot of people around me, you know, we had in mind, this is what Blue Dragon is. But none of that was documented. And therefore, another person could, could come, come in and change it because there was nothing to say that they couldn't. Now, in any organization, even the mission statement can evolve over time. Ours has recently evolved. Uh, culture can change. Strategy can change. So when a, when a person in my position, especially as a founder, but, but even you know, just as a, as a CEO, wants to step aside, well, I want to make sure that things are maintained, that, that that culture, the mission continues. But it can change. That's fine. Uh, and, and, a, and a CEO, I think, needs to acknowledge that they, and be comfortable with that. The question is, how does it change? Is it one person at the top of the organization says, well, this is different now? Because that's not okay. And listening to other people who you've interviewed, Daryl, where, where people leaving a company and they want to make sure that, that they're leaving something particular. Um, you know, that's normal and, and it's the same in a nonprofit. Perhaps it's even a stronger impulse in a nonprofit because people have put in, you know, a sacrifice. Um, it, it's not quite, well, you know, Blue Dragon has changed now, so I'll go and work at that other organization. Uh, there's more commitment, there's more skin in the game in a, in a nonprofit. Um, yeah. But that was the problem that we that we faced. That that one person was able to say, right, I'm the boss, so now things are different. Uh, without without any kind of a process uh, for for everybody to be on board with that. Not nonprofits, definitely. I think the big the, the underlying difference with a nonprofit to a, a commercial business is that people are really believe in the cause and they're consciously making that sacrifice of, yes, I understand I'm taking less cash, but I really believe in the cause, I'm making a difference. Um, uh, whereas when people move from one business to another, they may be earning more or less in a different business, but it's not a conscious, always a conscious uh, you know, transactional arrangement. Okay, so you're That's in right. there, you're, you're becoming aware that, hey, look, we, we've, we're not all aligned to the same vision. There's not this common understanding of what the cause is. Uh, and what we're working towards, I need to reintroduce that and bring it back to the forefront of people's minds. <laughs> and then, you know, you started coming in saying, hey, I'm, I'm here for six months and I, I think you were there another five years. Yeah. Uh, so what changed for you to realise that, well, okay, so it's more than just a quick fix that's required. Um, you know, what else did you, you know, find yourself working on to prepare the organisation so that this time it really would be ready for some form of succession 
but also not lose track of where it's going and, and why it exists so that, that everything really was foundational um, and, and kept the organisation going. So Because we did touch on the legacy um, and, and we might be able to explore what a legacy is um, you know, a bit later in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, this this second time around, when I came back in as the CEO again, I was very, very fortunate to have a, have some good mentors and several, not not only one, several. And some of their ideas, by the way, were very different to each other. Uh, some some particular supporters that we have are uh, are actually some brothers in Australia, the uh, the Everett brothers, and and one of them is from a uh, an accounting and finance background. The other is from an organizational leadership background, and and their ideas could not be more polar. Uh, it's quite it's quite amusing getting getting these brothers together and and chatting about what direction an organization should take. You know, I had input like that um, from the board as well. So the board spent time over here with us, uh, really really hands on, and then. One of the key things was turning to the whole organization. We had about 60 staff at that time. And it dawned on me, you know, after all these years of leading this organization, it, it dawned on me, well, actually, here are 60 amazing people who need to have a, a meaningful and, and proper role in, in talking about the future of the organization. And, and so... I, I was able to find a couple, there were a couple of key people within the organization who uh, who were champions of this change process. And that was all we needed, just a couple of people in different roles to, to work alongside with me. And, you know, we were fully aligned. We didn't always know where we were going, but we were fully aligned that that something had been lost and we needed to get it back and 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 then go even beyond that, not just get back what we had, but really thrive. And really define as an as an organisation what we were and what we were going to do. So, getting all this external advice, uh, then having these internal champions alongside me, uh, you know, we would we would get staff together in in a few different kind of forums. Sometimes it would be whole staff meetings, or or it might be inviting people who'd like to join a, a discussion group about this, and and we would sit and discuss. Uh, we would throw out some crazy ideas sometimes uh, and and get feedback. We would ask people for their crazy ideas. And and the more we did that, the more we could see, oh, actually, there's there's even more to do. It's like when you, you know, you, you think you're repairing the car. It'll, I've just got to turn this little bolt here. And then you realize, oh, hang on, I'm replacing the motor now. Uh, and and that was what we did. Um, so, you know, we, we realized, well, we... We need a succession plan, right? Where, where do we get a succession plan from? How do you create one of those? Um, how do we define our culture? Because we felt during that year, we, we really felt that the organization's culture had shifted in a very short time, an amazingly short time. Everything that, uh, that the core group of us thought about Blue Dragon's culture totally changed. Unbelievable. We never thought that could happen. So how do we define the culture? And these are these are big jobs. These aren't something to kick off in six months, especially if you're going to collaborate. So I didn't want to lock myself in a room and write up a whole bunch of documents and then email them to everyone and say, "Radio, here we are. Uh, we've got these. Now let's advertise for a CEO." I needed the whole organisation 
to be with me on that, to be writing those documents with me, um, to be challenging me on my ideas, but for them to own what we were creating. Uh, you know, guides are, that, that set the boundaries on how our leaders should operate. So it defines our view of leadership. It def we've got documents defining our culture. And, and all of these, um, by the way, in one way, like they're just pieces of paper. And they're only as good as we really put them to use. Um, but we also built in processes to the organization to, to make sure that, that the, the, this is part of our culture. So not only do we have those documents, but that's now part, those documents are part of our charter with our board. So fulfilling those documents, at which sometimes some of them are quite aspirational um, as much as they are practical, fulfilling them is part of our charter. So a, a CEO can get fired for not fulfilling them. You know, we, we really made them a core of the organization, not a little, nice little thing on the side. Um, and, and so that's what, what took years, Daryl, rather than, than six months. So if I'm understanding, what, what you did is you've gone, okay, so recognizing that there was a disconnect between um, understanding of, of the why, maybe what and how of the organization, why it exists and, and what it's trying to achieve. And, and, and then therefore various people are getting involved in different projects about how they're going about doing things. And each project in isolation seemed like a good idea at the time. Mm. So therefore the new CEO came in and thought, oh, well, here's a good project. I like the sound of that. Let's go off and do that. And we go, hang on a sec. That doesn't fit with our, our reason for being. Um, and well, what is our reason for being? I don't know. I've, you know, I've assumed it. You've, you, you've focused on going, okay, so let's get documented about why people have joined us and, and what it is we believe in and, and what our cause is. Let's have a common understanding. So therefore, we're already an existing organization. We're not a startup. So recognizing that culture is fueled by the top. I think the Chinese have a proverb says the fish rots from the head. Mm -hmm. In a small organization, everything starts from the top down and, and especially culture. So culture is, is, is our behaviors in action um, and our beliefs expressed through our behaviors. And, and we can't change those. We can, in, we can inform them, but our beliefs you know, you know, drive our behaviors. <laughs> so we're getting clear about what they are and so that we can go, look, if you believe in this, these are the things we believe in as an organization. Are you aligned to those? So let's start to document the business as a whole and just get and and because it's an existing business, let's get everyone involved in that documentation process so that now we've got a solid foundation to build on. And if there is any changes at the top in the future or anyone that comes in, they're coming into a known um, there's a whole lot of inertia in, uh, around that organization. So one or two new people can't change it. If they try and make changes, they'll get resistance and pushback. And they'll be told, no, that's not the way to do it. Here's the way we've agreed and understood it. You need to fit in with this. And and you can, you know, the style will dictate how that, that message is delivered. So you've documented it. You've got everyone to agreed. Um, and so now, you know, it, it's, it's set in tablets, so to speak, um, so that anyone coming in, we can have a, an induction program or an onboarding program to go, look, here's what we believe in and, and here's our values and, and therefore here's, here's how we express those through, through, through various behaviours. 
here's how we would expect you to behave in certain situations. And I imagine in your organisation, you know, there's a lot of risk management as well to be, to be addressed. Absolutely, absolutely. And so now you've got effectively the culture documented um, and, and you've, you've, you've got some, uh, you know, it's built on a solid foundation. The organisation was moving ahead in that strong way. What was it that gave you comfort to go, hey, look, I think the business is now prepared. I think the business is now ready for me to, to exit um, again. Well, what happened next was uh, I just, I, looking into it further, once we had all of that in place and we had some really solid foundations, there was still the, the very practical problem of how does a nonprofit, an international nonprofit in Vietnam, find a, a, a new CEO. Um, it's harder than you might imagine, and, and you probably can imagine how hard it is. You know, on salary, we can't be very competitive with, with industry. Uh, we're talking about a job where we're dealing with human trafficking, with court cases, with homeless kids, dealing with the police, all in the context of Vietnam, where NGOs are highly regulated. And so we could see that rather than, rather than just saying, look, we're going to find one CEO to replace Michael, let's take some steps. So what we did first was we created a co-CEO structure. We added a second CEO and we divided up our work very clearly. Um, now, by the way, many, many people who hear about this, will their first reaction will be to say, I've never heard of that working. Well, now you have because our co-CEO model uh, really was was well designed, and and we got the right two people in the job: me and uh, an Australian woman named Sky McConaughey. Um, then COVID hit, by the way, shortly after after that, and and our co-CEO model absolutely came into its own. Without it, I don't know what we would have done. Sky was able to take care of one entire side of the organization. I didn't have to think about it. I took care of the other. And because of that, we thrived. Blue Dragon actually grew during, during COVID because we were able to respond to the massive needs that, that developed here. Um, you know, we were out delivering food out on the streets. We were, uh, we were paying people's bills. Um, we were we were breaking every curfew rule that there was to to get help to people. Uh, one of our staff was even delivering a, delivering I think two on two different occasions delivered a baby um, because the mother couldn't get to uh, to hospital. So the co CEO model just absolutely worked well for us during during COVID. Um, and then came the next step, which was to say right we've got two CEOs. Now, what if I'm not one of them? And we then did a, a recruitment process internally and found another person, a Vietnamese man, um, who actually used to be a beneficiary. He was one of the first street kids who, who I helped 20 years ago. Um, and he went off and had a career in hospitality. Then he came back to Blue Dragon. He was working um, first as a social worker, then in management. He became the co-CEO along with Sky, and I was able to step out. Now, doing it that way was very safe and gentle. And, and, and it's worth mentioning, by the way, that, that that second time around when 
when I said to the staff, right, we've got this idea, we're going to have a co-CEO model, straight away people were nervous because they were looking at me saying, you changed your role a few years ago and, and it went badly for everyone. Everyone was aware it was, it was a toxic environment at the time. People were really nervous. The co-CEO model actually made it very safe for, for people. Um, they could say, oh, okay, it's okay. Michael is still there. That's fine. The, the change isn't so big. Um, and then everyone became very comfortable having two CEOs. It took a little bit of getting used to, but, but not, not as much as, as I had feared it would. Then when it came time for me to step out and another person took my role as, this, as the co-CEO, by then everyone's absolutely fine with it. So it, it created this very safe pathway. Um, and, and now this co-CEO model, uh, I'm, I'm a very big fan of it. And, and again, I know that I'm, I may be in a minority there, but it, it, as a nonprofit, it lets us get so much more done uh, and, and it meets our needs very well. It might not be for everybody, but it's working really well for us. And, and so with me then stepping out of the CEO role completely, it's almost like it didn't make that much of a difference to, to the organization. It's as though not many people even really noticed. And, and it became a real positive, in fact, that we had this great woman, Sky, and, and a great guy who's, who's a former beneficiary. It became a real story of celebration rather than, oh, no, what's, what's going to happen this time uh, with Michael uh, stepping out of that role? I can see, like, you, you probably saw my body language as well when you talk about the co-CEO because it just terrified me. Um, so I can, yeah, my, my mind, yeah, you, you've almost put me in a spin. But uh, I'm thinking I can see how that would work if if there were clear lines of responsibility because when everyone's responsible, no one's responsible. That's but if right. you said CEO one is responsible for this and that's their mandate and CEO number two is responsible for this and that's their mandate, um, you know, so then my mind goes, was there one CEO a little more senior than the other CEO? And, uh, you know, in which case, you know, we, we, labels are what we, we, um, we, we take out to the marketplace. And, and what's really important is the functional responsibilities we, we have inside the, the organization. And if everyone's really clear on who's responsible to what and who do I go to for what, um, then, then that's the key. Yeah, that's, that's right. And, and we do have it very clearly defined. Uh, although I, I find that over time, as when I was a co-CEO and, and now, uh, the roles do evolve um, kind of naturally. Uh, at the start, maybe one of the CEOs has a particular interest in uh, the people and culture department instead of calling it HR. Um, but then over time, they might think, actually, I'd like, I'd like to do something a bit different. And, and so the roles can be um, swapped around. Um, and, and I would emphasize too that, that the co-CEO model, like I say, may not be for everyone. For us, we're an international NGO. So the Australian government looks at us as an Australian NGO and we have to follow Australian law. Um, and we, we also, we receive money from the UK and from, Australia, uh, from, uh, from the USA. We have to meet laws from multiple countries but we're doing all of our work in uh, in Vietnam. So we also have to follow Vietnamese culture and traditions very, very closely. 
Um, and, and so having a Vietnamese and a foreign CEO together actually makes perfect sense for, for us. Um, it's almost a job that would be impossible otherwise. I, I don't yeah. see how we could find one person who could do everything that's required for an organization like Blue Dragon. Wow, Michael, what a great story. Um, you know, it's, it's, we, we've had a crack, we've, we've gone out, we've left the organization, seen that it didn't work, had the courage to come back, sort out, you know, fix our mistakes, you know, swallow our pride, so to speak, um, rebuild, learn along the way, rebuild, um, lay the foundations, look after everyone involved in the organization, all your sponsors, your stakeholders, um, the, the people who have got an ownership through alignment um, in the organization. Um, it's, it's a great show of leadership from what I can see and, and, and courage even to uh, jump in and, and, and do it again and, and fix up all those, those things that you didn't get right the first time around. It's now, you've now stepped out. It's, it's, it's humming along nicely without you. It, there's just one last question from me. And that's out of this whole story, what's the one key message you really want listeners to take away from our conversation today? Organizational readiness. There's so much that you can do uh, to get an organization ready for, for that transition. I, you know, I mentioned uh, that one of the documents we developed is a succession plan. Um, I've, I've never been a big fan of documents until uh, this, this tragedy happened some years ago and I realized the, the value and the power of them. We've got a great succession plan. It, it's not a plan that says, if Michael goes, then this is the person to step in. It's not, you know, it's not like the North Korean replacement plan. It's, it's a plan that says, how do we prepare any senior leader to leave, what do we have to do to, to make sure that if, if one of our key people walks out the door tomorrow and doesn't come back, that it's as okay as possible? And, and you know, it, if, if, if I walk out the door tomorrow and never come back, of course there's an impact. You, you can't absolutely neutralize it and say, you know, it's all just moving parts now and, and anyone can just easily be replaced. But you have to think about what does an organization lose if that person leaves? What's the knowledge? What are the relationships, the skills? And, and so knowing that, how do we prepare? And be ready for all of it. Don't, don't wait until someone says, I'm thinking about retiring um, before you get ready. Because the process of getting ready doesn't end. There's not a point where you put your feet up and say, um, well, it's all good now. You know, succession is all planned. Uh, anyone can leave. Anything can happen and, and we're fine. It's ongoing. But it strengthens your organization no end. Blue Dragon is so much stronger than, than we were before because we have everything in place. Um, and I only wish I had done this, you know, 10, 10 years ago. Uh, I, and I, I really hope that other people can learn from my mistake instead of having to learn from their own mistake like I did. So we're looking for the gold standard where all of the institutional knowledge of the organization doesn't reside in just one person's head. It's across the organization and, and ultimately we document as much as we can to the right level of detail for the organization. 
Yeah, that's right. So one, just one simple example for us, uh, of course, we we rely on fundraising. So you know, relationships with people around the world who donate money. Um, if 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 those relationships are all just with me, the founder, and then one day I'm gone, that's a major calamity for the organisation. Um, so we always make sure that at least one other person also has a relationship with our donors. Um, and that's got to be, it, it then becomes messy because uh, we've got lots of different donors in lots of different countries. Uh, and we need to make sure that they've got a connection with somebody, not just with one person in, in Blue Dragon. Um, it's not easy, uh, but it's absolutely vital for, for the future. That's great advice for everyone. Michael, I really appreciate you sharing your exit insights with us today. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased to. I, I did go through a terrible time back then and, uh, and, and it was unnecessary. So, so I think the idea of talking about exit uh, is, is, is key to, to long-term happiness and to the success of organisations. 